Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment Service for the Blind, which includes anyone with a visual impairment who is unable to read a newspaper. We have the, the permission of the Worcester News and we're recording on Thursday the 20th of June 2019. I'm Elizabeth Hill and this week's team comprises our engineer Duncan Wynne and round the table is Judith Doherty, Janet Goodwin and Julian Watkins. Sorry, <laughs> I couldn't read my own writing. Um, clerical admin work has been done by Carol Hartle and Sue Childs and we have to thank Keir Aldis for the thought for the, for the week and music by Sheila Joins. May I extend a very warm welcome to any new listeners. I hope you enjoy our offering. You will hear some emergency and useful telephone numbers, what's on in the local theatres, the thought for the week... Uh, we'll follow the obituaries at the end of the music, at the end of the recording. We'll open the birthday book, let us know yours if we don't know it already. And then we'll have the past week's headlines, sunrise and sunset times. They'll be followed by stories of interest from the past week. The service is quite free to users. It is a registered charity. If, however, anyone does wish to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, WYLDS, here in Worcester, WR51DA. And we do thank anyone for um, a donation, and we do have a particular uh, thank you this week too. It will follow in one of the news items. We do like to hear from you. If you have any suggestions, complaints or compliments, you can add a message to your wallet or leave a message on the answer phone 01905 767766. But please be aware we're not in the office every day. So I'm going to ask Janet now if she will give us the useful telephone numbers, please. Thank you. Here in Wilds Lane, the number is 01905 767766. Worcester Live is 01905 611427 Morven Theatres 01684 892277 Police Non Emergency 101 Crime Stoppers 0800 555 Worcester Hub 01905 765765 Norbury Theatre 01905 770154 NHS Direct 111 and Out of Hours Medical Assistance from 6pm to 8pm is 0300 1233211. Thank you. Now I have a few what's ons in the local theatres. So start in Worcester at Huntington Hall on Saturday, this coming Saturday the 22nd of June at 7.30 Green Matthews presents A Brief History of Music uh, which um, the, the show is from acclaimed musicians Chris Green and Sophie Matthews, takes in 600 years of musical history in 90 minutes, that sounds interesting tickets £15 on 
Uh, Wednesday the 26th of June at 7.30 is The Dream Boys. This is at the Swan Theatre. Tickets cost between 24.50 and 27.50. The Dream Boys, well, mm, there's a picture here of some half-naked, very muscly-looking gentlemen, so I'll leave that to your imagination. (laughs) On Friday the 28th of June at 7.30 is The Unravelling Wilburys. So this is a tribute band to The Travelling Wilburys. Uh, Tickets are £16.50, concessions £15. That's at Huntington Hall. On Friday the 28th at 7.30 is Rock for Heroes. That is at the Swan Theatre. Um, and it is uh, a perfect combination of rock and pop artists from across the eras in celebration of an incredible cause, Help for Heroes. Um, there'll be a collection for that. Tickets are £18.50. At, in the Vesta Tilly studio, the Baroque Theatre Company presents Death and the Maiden. That also is the 28th of June and also the 29th at 7.45pm. Tickets are £13.50 and it's an award-winning London hit play um, which has been revived by the Baroque Theatre Company. High drama with great intensity, a unique first-rate thriller. On Saturday the 29th at 7.30 is Neil Bryden. Uh, Again, this is music um, and she has gone back to her roots following the traditional sonic footsteps of her idol, Dusty Idols, Dusty Springfield, Aretha Franklin and Carol King. Tickets are £20, that's at Huntington Hall. And a little bit ahead between the 2nd and the 14th of July in the Commandery Gardens, next to where we're recording, Worcester Repertory Company presents Pride and quite a lot of prejudice um it is on uh, as i say the second to the 14th it is outdoors so it could be interesting uh, there is a sunday performance and tickets range between 1750 and 1950 with under 16s at eight pounds and Just going a little bit ahead to the 4th of July, because I know they're very popular, is Talon, the acoustic collection in the Raw. Um, They are a tribute band to the Eagles. Um, It's at 7.30 at Huntington Hall, tickets £18.50. But the acoustic collection in the Raw features breathtaking beautiful acoustic arrangements of their own personal favourites from artists such as James Taylor, Simon and Garfunkel, 10CC, Michael Jackson. You get the drift. Um, They generally play the Eagles, but obviously they're playing a variety of uh, people. Uh, To reiterate, the uh, booking telephone number 01905 611427. Crossing the river to Mulvern... We have on the 26th of June, How We Made the Golden Age of Canals, which is an illustrated talk by David Parker. Uh, It starts at 7.45pm. Tickets are £11.20. From the 24th to the 29th of June is a thriller live, The Legend Lives On, direct from London's West End, 
where it is now in its record-breaking 10th year. So this is about Michael Jackson. Tickets are between £26.32 and £45.36. So quite expensive. On the 27th of June, Hello Again, the story of Neil Diamond. Uh, Tickets £28. On the 27th is the National Theatre Live, Small Island. So this is... um, uh, adapted by Helen Edmondson, based on the novel by Andrea Levy. Uh, starts at seven, tickets £11.20, premium seats £14.56. On Friday the 28th of June, Rachel Podger and Brecken Bar- Barock play Vivaldi, The Four Seasons and more. Uh, that is uh, at 7.45, tickets £20.00. 16 to 26 pounds 88 hmm, strange strange figures there and uh, malvern theatres 01684 i'm just going to i'm just going to tell you about open gardens um which is this weekend june the 22nd and 23rd Whitley Court near Worcester is the venue for a Blooming Gardens event. There will be tours, demonstrations and stalls from 11 till 5. The Court's gardeners will be on hand throughout the day to share their hints and tips and live music also being provided. There will be plant stalls, games, family trails and crafts throughout the day. Tickets available on the day. So quite a lot going on. I'm going to ask Judith to tell us whose birthday it is, please. Yes, we have two birthdays. Um, first on the 26th of June is someone we know well. It's Duncan Wynn. Oh, happy birthday, <laughs> no, Duncan. No secrets here. <laughs> and on the 28th of June, Kath Gould. So we wish them both very happy birthdays. Happy birthday, Duncan and Kath. Okay, so, uh, Julian, would you like to read us this week's headline stories, please, and the Sunrise and Sunset Times. Thank you. Yes, certainly. We've got six headlines for you from the last week. Uh, First, councillor builds her own coffin. Transgender woman's death, man denies murder. Jail for joyrider. Pensioner punched by gorilla in road rage attack. Road rage victim doesn't want revenge attack. And stop cuts to our fire crews. The sunrise time is 4.47am and the sunset is 9.33pm. Thank you, Julian. And now with the first headline story is Judith. Thank you. A councillor has built her own coffin, but for now will be using it as a bookshelf at her home. Councillor Kerry Stalker spent six weeks building her coffin at an adult woodworking course. She says she made the bizarre choice in the hope it would save her family money on funeral services. Councillor Stalker said, Originally, I had an idea to make a plant stand, but I had second thoughts and decided to make something more useful. I knew I wanted to make a coffin. I got asked if I wanted to make a stool, but no, I told them I would like to make my own coffin. She added, I've got my funeral plan in place and it will save my family money. I think paying for funeral services can be a rip-off. I want my family paying as little as possible when I die. 
I don't want them spending more money on me when I'm dead than when I'm alive. She plans to put her handmade coffin in her spare room and use it as a bookshelf and storage space until it is required. Volunteers helped Councillor Stalker, who represents, represents Warnden area, make a coffin at charity-funded construction centre in Worcester, the building block. Councillor Stalker said, I might decorate the lid, but I like the style of it now. It is quite rustic looking. It could be also used as a big coffee table when the lid is on. Because it is a bookcase in the meantime, I am in no rush, but I will eventually install a headrest and waterproof lining at the bottom. The building block in Shap Drive offers courses and an array of classes and workshops. The aim of the volunteer-run sessions is to help people develop DIY skills, helping them to save money on their projects. Councillor Stalker, you can learn all sorts from these courses. It develops people's skills and makes them qualified to get a job. I've never done carpentry before. People from all backgrounds go to the workshop. The idea is to be a social hub and encourage residents to take part and feel part of a community. This facility is a really valuable resource. Pete Miller, aged 49, Construction Skills Centre Manager, said, This is our first coffin project. It has been a novelty, but that's what it's all about. And it will be a useful item too. It will provide storage space and will also be a coffin. He added, We are all about community engagement. We want to help everybody and anybody. Manda Curley, volunteer at the centre and teacher, said, The beauty of this course is that you learn simple DIY skills and can use them at home. They are valuable skills to keep for life. The centre is part of Worcester Community Trust and also offers courses in bricklaying, plumbing, plastering, tiling and woodwork. For more information on the building block, visit worcestercommunitytrust.org.uk building block. Martin Saberi denied the murder of Amy Griffiths between January the 11th and January 14th this year when he appeared at Worcester Crown Court. As previously reported in the Worcester News, Amy Griffiths, aged 51, was discovered dead at her flat in Chelverton Court, Droitwich, on Monday, January the 14th. Police said she had suffered head and throat injuries. After her death, friends described Amy as a hero in the local LGBT community. Connor Turner, one of Amy's friends, said at the time of her death, I was absolutely devastated when I heard about her death. I'm heartbroken. She didn't have a selfish bone in her body. She helped me through some difficult times when I was younger. Saberi, appearing via video link from Broadmoor, also denied wounding with intent against a second alleged victim, Charlotte Taylor, and possession of an offensive weapon, a knife, in a public place without lawful authority and reasonable excuse on January the 11th this year. The defendant, previously of Brackley Close, Wallington, Surrey, will face a trial on September the 30th this year at Worcester Crown Court. 
His Honour Judge Robert Jux gave Saberi the option of appearing in person or over the video link for a pre-trial review into the murder of Amy, who was also referred to as Michael in court. I want to be there, replied Saberi. Rachel Brand, QC, appeared at the hearing on behalf of the prosecution. Paul Pryor, defending, said he still had to serve a defence case statement and the judge ordered this to be prepared by August the 12th. Mr Pryor said it would be necessary to first see the pathology report. The pathology report and other scientific evidence is expected to be ser- served by July the 31st. A list of witnesses has already been prepared. A pre-trial review is scheduled to take place on Friday, September the 20th, which is 10 days before the trial is due to begin. The judge remanded Saberi in custody until the next hearing before closing down the link. A joyrider who stole a car and damaged it, leaving a family feeling afraid, will spend eight weeks behind bars. Grant Sumner, 25, admitted stealing a car, driving it without a licence or insurance and causing criminal damage to it. Magistrates heard how Sumner decided to pop some locks, testing car door handles in Lansdowne Road before taking an Audi Q7 belonging to Misbah Asphal. He took the Audi after finding a key to it in another car in the same road. Nicola Ritchie prosecuting said, In the morning... Mrs. Avzel noticed her car was missing and that the back door to the other car belonging to the household, a Peugeot 207, was open. She kept a a spare key in the centre console of the Peugeot and she noticed that it had gone missing. Later that day, her brother noticed the car in Rose Avenue with substantial damage and CCTV footage was recovered which shows the defendant approaching Lansdowne Road before trying car door lock handles, including the back door of the Peugeot. He noticed it was open. He noticed it was open and took the keys to the Audi before driving off on it. The court heard a statement on behalf of Mrs. Asphalt, which says her and her family felt scared in case he came back, and that she was having to reassure her children that he would not return. She also said the family were unable to travel together and would not need to find an, and would now need to find another seven-seater car to replace the loss of their car. The amount quoted for the car to be repaired was reportedly twelve thousand pounds after Sumner damaged the offside, though the court did not hear the, def- the definite value of the repair. A probation officer addressing the court said how Sumner was heading to the gym when he started popping the locks off various cars. In his police interview, Sumner, of Aswood Road, told officers that he did not cause the damage to the car prior to leaving it in Rose Avenue on the morning of April 27th, and that his plan was to go back later and drive it again. The probation officer also told the court, after stealing the car, he went back to his girlfriend's house and told her what he'd done. He has physical health issues, which meant he was unsuitable for unpaid work. He has anxiety and depression, and therefore, before taking a medication in the morning, he's very hyper and can't come down. She told him he was stupid, and on reflection, he says he is sorry for what he has done. It was immature, childish and impulsive behaviour. At Worcester Magistrates Court, magistrates jailed Sumner for eight weeks in light of his previous record. Chair of the bench Simon Egerton said, This offence follows a previous similar uh, offence in which we're giving you a 12-week custodial sentence, reduced to eight in light of your guilty plea. No costs were awarded and Sumner was ordered to pay a victim surcharge of £115. 
A 79-year-old great-grandfather was punched in the face in a, an unprovoked road rage attack on Father's Day. Royston Tippin from Worcester was assaulted after he responded verbally to a driver who had shouted abuse at him. Mr Tippin said he was in his car in Ambleside Drive, Warnden, at around 2.30pm on Sunday and was behind a man who was trying to back out of a space. But, because two other vehicles were behind Mr Tippin, he wasn't able to move out of the way. The pensioner said, He wound his window down and shouted abuse at me, so I shouted back, and then he got out of his car. I tried to wind my window up, but he just opened my car door instead and punched me in the face. He was a big guy, he was like a gorilla. Mr Tippin described his attacker as being in his late 50s or early 60s. The punch left the pensioner with severe bruising and he, has, and he said he has felt queasy since the assault. Mr Tippin had a heart attack four years ago and this resulted in him having four stents placed in his heart. His daughter, Claire, said, He is almost 80 and he has a dodgy ticker anyway. I am feeling all the emotions you can think of. You can tell my dad he is no spring chicken. I'm so angry that anyone could do such a thing. He has a haematoma under the skin. Bruising has spread from his mouth to his eyebrow. His face looks black from the bruising. My dad couldn't sleep. He keeps replaying what happened. He has to force his eye open. My kids are shocked to see their granddad in this state. He could have broken his cheekbone or damaged his eye socket. Mr Tippin's son, Kevin, said the punch could have been fatal for his father. He could have killed my dad with that one punch, he said. My dad looks like Rocky Balboa. His eye is massive and his face looks awful. It looks like it needs to be cut to let the blood out. I am fuming. My dad is an old man. He called me when it happened as he was alone. I drove around the area for three hours trying to find this car. Kevin said he called the police at the time, but they just told me to take him to hospital and come back a day later to report what happened. The attack happened on Father's Day at Ambleside Drive near the co-op in Warnden Villages. Claire, 34, had to take yesterday off work to look after her dad and report the attack at Worcester Police Station. PC Debbie Threadgold said yesterday, West Mercia Police is committed to providing a high quality level of service to everyone within our communities. A thorough investigation is currently underway in relation to the assault and a number of inquiries are ongoing. We would like to reassure Mr Tippin and the community, community that we take all incidents of this nature extremely seriously and we are looking into his concerns and the circumstances surrounding them. We would wish, like to wish Mr Tippin a full recovery. This also is about Mr Tippin. People have been rallying around a pensioner who was punched in the face in an unprovoked road rage attack. Royston Tippin, aged 79, who was assaulted after he verbally responded to a driver who shouted abuse at him, said he was amazed at the amount of people who have been in touch, but he stressed he didn't want revenge attacks.
Mr Tippin said, with how I feel now, it wouldn't bother me if he dropped down dead. He's just a coward. This guy ought to be taught a lesson. A lot of people who said they want to get him, they're furious. I told them not to be silly. I don't want them getting into trouble. It's unreal, the comebacks that I've been getting. I'm well known in Worcester. Everyone knows me as Tippo. People have been getting in touch with me all day, and when people see me, they have asked what happened. Everyone is shocked. He added, I might be about five foot three, but I don't back down to anyone. I backed down to this one, though, because he was a monster. I had my seatbelt on, so I had no choice. My face looks ridiculous. It has got worse. The bruising has spread to my chin and left side of my nose. I've got a slight headache now, too. I've been really neglected in terms of the police. I know they are short-handed, but I called 999 right after the attack, and they told me to go down to the station the next day to report it. Mr Tippin says he won't be driving for a few days, adding, I only have one eye at the moment. I'm having a job opening it. Worcester news readers have posted a host of supportive messages to Mr Tippin and his family. Laura King said this is absolutely vile. I hope this man makes a full recovery and suffers no ill effects. South Worcestershire Police stressed they took the matter seriously and were investigating the case. A spokesman said, we would like to wish Mr Tippin a full recovery. Thousands of people have signed a petition demanding an end to dangerous cuts to fire service staffing levels across the county. The petition, launched by former watch commanders, has gained more than 3,300 signatures and calls on fire chiefs to stop cuts to the number of full-time firefighters on duty at night across Worcestershire and Herefordshire. Campaigners claim proposed changes would see numbers drop from 40 to 16, a reduction of 60%. The changes also remove 12 full-time and guaranteed available firefighters on call at night, meaning that in the case of Worcester, crews from the city have had to cover Malvern at night several times, leaving the city with only one full-time fire crew available. However, Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service say they are providing the same cover, even though the firefighters are no longer employed full-time. They blamed some of the changes on the Fire Brigade's union's refusal to strike a deal to keep the current system. Saul Bolton, a former Malvern Watch commander, says the cuts risk lives both of those affected by fires and the firefighters themselves. In the petition, Mr Bolton said, We are a group of retired service watch commanders who fully understand the impact of these dangerous cuts and are deeply concerned by the reduction of full-time fire cover at night in our two counties. We believe the lives of our firefighters and the people they serve will be put at risk if the fire authority push on with these drastic cuts, which will, rem- re- which will mean relying too heavily on the already overstretched retained staff. He says there have already been several occasions where Malvern was unable to put a full crew together, meaning fewer on-call firefighters covering Worcester, as they had to be diverted to cover the nearby town at night. 
The petition is to be considered by the fire service as part of the wider consultation into crew changes across the two counties and was submitted on June the 14th. But campaigners say the proposals would leave Hereford and Worcester with just four full-time firefighters on duty at night instead of the current eight. Other changes include changing duty systems at Malvern, Evesham and Droitwich fire stations. The petition calls on the fire authorities to increase the number of full-time firefighters on duty at night in both Hereford and Worcester to 10 and to maintain the immediate availability of two fire appliances in each city. Campaigners also calling for immediate and guaranteed full-time nighttime cover at Bromsgrove and to reinstate the day crewing duty system at Malvern, Evesham and Droitwich to provide full-time guaranteed firefighters on call at night. A fire service spokesman said a six-week consultation with the public and fire service staff had been undertaken and had now closed. He said the consultation sought views on the options to replace day crewing plus because of a recent court ruling that makes it open to legal challenge. Since 2014, Day Crewing Plus has enabled Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service to maintain a 24-7 immediate response capability for the first fire engine at Bromsgrove Fire Station and the second fire engines at Worcester and Hereford Fire Stations. Using DCP instead of the traditional shift system to provide 24-7 response cover has enhanced DCP firefighters' pay by 25% and saved £1.5 million per year from the budget. However, a recent High Court ruling on a similar duty system elsewhere in England has ruled that DCP breaches working time regulations and so can only remain in use if the Fire Brigade's union grants a local agreement to keep it in place. The Fire Brigade's union has made it clear it is not willing to enter into such an agreement. The consultation included the publication of a document setting out the issue, together with the proposed options on a way forward. With regards to the crewing at Evesham, Mulvern and Droitwich, the crewing arrangements changed in March 2019. In essence, there is no change to the number of firefighters available or indeed the local fire engine response times. The changes relate to contractual issues as, following a recent legal ruling, the authority can no longer insist that whole-time firefighters on those stations provide night cover. In reality, the same firefighters are continuing to provide exactly the same cover, but on a voluntary basis for which they get paid. Due regard will be given to all the responses to the consultation, which will go to the fire authority at the end of 2019. That concludes the headline stories for this week. Judith will start off with the rest of the news. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm going to start off, actually, with um, an article that, that relates to um, us, uh, <laughs> especially to Elizabeth. Um, a golf day has raised £800 for a charity that supports people who are visually impaired. 
Jim McKeever, pub landlord from the Winning Post in Worcester, organised an 18-hole charity golf event in aid of raising funds for Worcester Talking News, a charity that provides recordings and listening equipment to people who are visually impaired. The charity supports his wife, Anne, who uses the resources. Worcester Talking News in Wilds Lane collected a cheque for £800 from the winning post following the golf day. The money will be used, will you, will be used, the charity's ceiling, the cost of which is expected to exceed £7,000. Elizabeth Hill from Worcester Talking News said, We would like to thank Bill Evans and Jim and Anne McKeever at the winning post and, of course, everyone who participated in the golf day for taking us to their hearts. This donation is very much appreciated and will be put to good use. Bill Evans, organiser of the event, said, It was a wonderful day and we are happy to have raised the funds for a great cause. I am chuffed we raised £800. I would like to thank all the golfers for playing and the hospitality at the Bewdley, Bewdley Pines Golf Club. The event took place on May the 22nd at Bewdley Pines Golf Club. Since 1978, the charity has provided weekly recordings of local news taken from the Worcester News. The service, which includes equipment, is provided free to users, currently numbering around 120 and relies entirely on donations and the support of about 60 volunteers at any one time. Anyone who wishes to either volunteer or receive recordings can contact 01905 767766. Based at Hindip Hall near Worcester, the West Mercia Operations and Communications Centre handles all calls made to 999 and 101 for the region, with more than 1,500 calls to both 999 and 101 per day, with summer representing one of the busiest periods faced by call handlers. Hayley Newell, who has been a call handler for just over a year, spoke about her job and the pressures she faces. She said, today I'm handling calls for Herefordshire, so what I do is as soon as the call comes in, I grade it in terms of how urgent it is and then coordinate with the officers in the area to see what the best response is. When you get several emergency calls in at once, it can be really challenging and quite intense. So we have to be good at prioritising and working with the officers on the ground to know what the best option is. One of the big challenges comes from calls that are not police matters. One that sticks out in my mind was someone calling saying their bank card had been swallowed by a cash machine and they needed the police. What is really important is making sure people know the right number to call. It is 999 in an emergency and 101 in a non-emergency, but it helps to just think before calling and asking yourself if it is really something we can help with. As part of her job, Haley has to coordinate the officers on the ground, as well as partner agencies such as the Fire and Rescue Service, taking into account the various complexities each job requires. 
Being able to coordinate with different agencies is vital, as they can offer assistance to make the job of the officers on the ground easier, such as the fire service providing ladders and entry to buildings. Chief Inspector Gareth Morgan, who is head of the OCC after being a police officer for the last 16 years, said that the work of the OCC is vital, but forms part of a much wider effort. He said, we have got a great team who work incredibly hard, but we're just one cog in a much bigger machine working with other branches and other agencies. For me, what we want to make clear is to call 999 in a genuine emergency where someone's life is at risk or a crime is about to happen. What we find is a lot of people use it for non-emergencies, which puts real emergencies behind in the queue. 101 is the non-emergency number, and there are other ways that people can contact us, such as going online and finding the details of your local Safer Neighbourhood team, so you can contact your local police officers directly. On average, the OCC receives 375 calls to 999 each day, although during the World Cup last year they received in excess of 500 per day, with the busiest day being July the 7th, where nearly 600 calls were received in a day. On average, they received more than 1,300 101 calls each day. In July last year, the average rose to 1,500 due to the World Cup and the hot weather. Throughout the summer, the OCC sees an increase in calls as the nights get lighter and people stay out longer. The public should only call 999 if there is a threat or danger to life, a crime is ongoing or has just happened. Suspicious behaviour which requires immediate attention – you have immediate concerns for someone's safety or there is a dangerous incident on a road. 101 is used to report crimes that have already happened, communicate with the police about an ongoing case or make them aware of policing issues in the area. A homeless camp where dwellers allegedly drink, take drugs and light fires has been labelled an eyesore by nearby homeowners who also claim passers-by are verbally abused. Gatherings of half a dozen rough sleepers regularly meet at the site, on land off Kennet Green in Ronxwood, leaving piles of litter, it has been claimed. There are currently two tents permanently erected on the apparently privately owned patch of grass on the entrance to Williamson Road, with a camp said to have been there for a year. A 45-year-old resident, who did not wish to be named, said he has called the fire service to extinguish an out-of-control fire at the camp and wants the city council to move the dwellers into proper homes. He said residents, including his daughter and her young child, feel too intimidated to walk past the camp, with people reportedly being sworn at and subjected to lewd gestures. Camp members are also said to urinate in full view of passers-by, while gatherings take place early in the morning and into the evening. Another resident claims she has also reported the police to the council, and the police say they don't want to know, adding that the children are scared and it's disgusting. A spokesman for Battenhall and Nunnery Safer Neighbourhood Policing Team said it has, been received, it has received three calls in relation to the issue since January. The calls are in relation to homeless people staying in tents, a controlled fire and suspicion that drugs are in use. There is no mention of the calls about people being verbally abused. The spokesman said police do conduct high visibility patrols in the area and have been in contact with the council regarding them going through the process to remove the tents. 
We are currently waiting to further contact back from the council. A city council spokesman said Mag's Homeless Outreach Service is aware of this small encampment. They are already offering support and alternative accommodation to the people there. Any potential eviction order would need to be served by the landowner and we are currently establishing who this is. The tents were vacant when visited yesterday. Bereaved families are finding a way to help others coping with their loss through the sale of metal from the cremated remains of their loved ones. City charity Footsteps has benefited from the practice after being boosted by a donation from Worcester City Council. Following cremation of a deceased person, metals from the coffin and from implants, such as hip and knee replacement joints, are left behind. With the written consent of each bereaved family, these metals resulting from cremation go to the Institute of Cemetery and Crematorium Management's Metals Recycling Scheme, which Worcester City Council's crematorium is part of, to be sold for cash. To date, Worcester City Council has contributed close to £50,000 to local charities as a result of the scheme. In recent years, Dementia UK has received £4,000 and the NSPCC £5,000 from the authority. And now a cheque for £8,000 has been donated to footsteps that support bereaved children, young people and their families throughout the county following the death of a parent, sibling or other significant person in their life. The cheque was presented to the charity by the Mayor of Worcester, Councillor Alar Ditter. Footsteps provides its services free of charge, so the money is a welcome boost for the charity. Helen Dalton, Service Operations Manager, said, We are extremely grateful for this donation, which will help us to provide more one-to-one support to children and young people in Worcester and its surrounding area. Last year, we worked in over 50 schools and colleges in the area and helped over 150 young people and their families. Sadly, the demand for our support is growing and it is very important to us that our service is available to all those that need us totally free of charge, thereby ensuring accessibility to all. For more on the charity, you can call 08454 The mum of tragic Worcester student Tom Jones says their family are still in shock nine months after his death. Vicky Jones came as she had had husband Ian pledged their support to the Royal Life Saving Society, RLSS, UK's Drowning Prevention Week initiative. First year University of Worcester student Tom, 18, drowned in the River Severn in September after a night out drinking with friends. An inquest earlier this year recorded an open verdict on his death. Mrs Jones said, Even now, nine months on, some days it still feels like it was yesterday. We think we are still in shock. We function and go through the motions on a day-to-day basis because there is no option. It is difficult to socialise and try to be who we were before we lost Tom because we know we never will be. 
We have fantastic support around us from friends and family, but even just the routine things take all our strength. We know things will never be the same again. After Tom's death, friends and well-wishers raised £9,000, which the family have split between RLSS UK, Edwards Trust, Seven Area Rescue Association, UK Missing Persons Unit, West Midlands Search and Rescue and Primrose Hospice. Mrs Jones recently met with RLSS staff to donate £850 towards the charity's drowning prevention projects. They were there for us, so it's important that we're there for them, Mrs Jones said. RLSS UK was the first place I went to when it happened. I used to drive past the office all the time, so I went on to their website to try and understand how it could happen. Tom was a strong swimmer, and I kept thinking this couldn't have happened. He couldn't have drowned, but the information on the website helped me understand. It showed me the effect alcohol can have on the body and how cold water can stop muscles from working properly, and the undercurrent where he fell in would have been so strong. It wasn't in a good place. I wasn't in a good place, but this initial contact with the charity made a difference. They've been so supportive since, and I think working with them to deliver water safety messages will help me in the future. Mrs Jones is urging others to learn how to stay safe near water. She said, Tom was faced with lots of options that night. He could have walked back with his flatmates. He could have used the free transport that the university offered from town to the campus. But he decided to walk back alone, she said. If only he had taken the decision to return to the campus with the others or by using the transport, instead of choosing to walk home alone, this would never have happened. The Bromsgrove family thanked all who helped raise the £9,000, in particular Tom's friend Harley Hetherington, who set up a Just Giving page, and Bromsgrove Sporting FC, who held a match. Nearly 200 runners enjoyed a charity fun run, including one entrant who was just one year old. Worcester Community Trust held their first charity fun run in the grounds of RG's S. The Grange School in Fernhill Heath, where festivities included food stalls, games and a bouncy castle. The run was made up of three races, a quarter mile for those aged up to six, one mile for seven to ten-year-olds, and a five-kilometre for 11-year-olds and adults. Medals were given to each runner and trophies were presented by the charity's trustees to the top-placed men, women and under-16s. Warm-ups were provided by Happy Feet Fitness with everyone moving along to commentary from local DJ Steve Desher from Worcestershire Ambassadors. The event raised almost 1300 which will go directly to the work that Worcester Community Trust carries out within the city. The Trust runs 10 projects from six community hubs in Ronxwood, Dines Green, Warnden, Tolladine, Brickfields and the city and provides services in improving health and well-being. Ruth Hayward Director of Business Development at Worcester Community Trust said thank you to all our supporters and importantly the runners who came out and took part in the event. We're so lucky to have such wonderful weather. WCT continue to support 
people who are facing challenges in their lives and endeavour to provide professional services to those who need this the most in and around our city. Special thanks to those at Black Pear Joggers, Worcestershire's friendly running club, for their help organising and supporting on the day. T.H. Baker Jewellers, who filled the goodie bags with WCT Buffs and RGS The Grange, who supported the event by providing a wonderful backdrop for the day. Sponsors of the event included local organisations Sports Partnership Hereford and Worcester. Last year, the charity provided support to more than 4,500 people, enhancing skills, increasing confidence and bringing people together. This year, the charity wants to continue improving support and enhancing mental health and well-being whilst working with the youth, the elderly, empowering women and connecting the socially isolated. To find out more about the work the Trust does, visit Worcestershire Community Trust .org.uk forward slash. The central midfielder Worcester City had hoped to sign over the weekend now plans to pursue potential deals with professional clubs in France or Belgium. Manager Ashley Vincent politely declined to name the prospect that City had announced would be signing in a social media post on Saturday, only to say he had performed a slight U-turn hours later. It is someone we had interest in last season. It couldn't be done then. I thought it could be done this summer and it is not dead in the water, explained Vincent. The lad has options with professional clubs in other countries and I think that speaks volumes for the calibre of players we are trying to bring in. He is a central midfielder who likes to get it down and pass and he can open up teams from anywhere in the midfield, not just defences. For now, we move on and if that's something else crops up that fits the bill, then we'll go for that. I don't close doors, so this one will stay in the background. You never know how circumstances might change. But we are looking to bring in someone in that position while this lad goes off to see what options he may or may not have. If it comes off for him, then he will get a call from me to say congratulations. He's a talented boy and would have been fantastic alongside what we already have. I am not going to sit and cry about it, what we don't get in because what we have is fantastic. This player would no doubt have added to what we have. That's not to say we are necessarily looking for that type of player. We won't rule anyone out trying to match the criteria, but we are looking in the midfield area, for sure. It has been a summer of significant changes in dugouts and dressing rooms across the Midlands, with City among the many clubs to announce the bulk of their squad being able to register players. Ex-City captain Brad Birch was confirmed as staying at Starbridge before agreeing terms with arch-rivals Hells in Town, only to return to the Glass Boys. Striker Sean Brain was meant to be staying with Evesham United, but has since been snapped up by Coleshill Town. The kind of changes that blighted the start of the season for City, however, Vincent is not concerned by the prospects of being gazumped. I probably feel as confident about it as any other manager can, but the reality is there is not much I can do. I can only control what's in front of me, he said. I am comfortable with where we are. I have been speaking to players and setting up my vision, and they are buying into it. It's not like I have sat players down and said, you must sign now. I have given them plenty of time to think about it because I want it to be right choice, the right choice for them. These players would have exhausted their options by now, but they're out there and I feel okay about it. That's not me saying this won't happen to Worcester City. It is possible, but in my head, this is the squad I will be going forward with and let's have it right, as it's a very good side at this level. 
And now we have some cricket. Ricky Wessels and Callum Ferguson returned to form with half-centuries as Worcestershire edged ahead on the second day of the County Championship Division 2 match with Sussex. Wessels produced the most fluent batting at Kidderminster after scoring 16 runs in his previous six championship innings. Ferguson reached his maiden 50 in the competition for the county in his fourth outing of the season. With Ben Cox, the third half century maker, Ed Barnard and Brett D'Oliveira making important lower order runs, the hosts closed on 262 for six for a lead of seven. Sussex resumed on 185 for six and added 70 more for their final four wickets, including Captain Ben Brown, who was last out for 80. He started the day on 64 not out, but added his 12th boundary before giving Ed Barnard the charge and being bold. Paceman Adam Finch, 2 for 41, made the first breakthrough of the day by dismissing Chris Jordan to end a partnership of 92 in 20 overs with Brown. Jordan, 52, brought up his half-century off 59 balls with a boundary, but in the same over drove loosely and was caught at cover by Josh Dell. Ollie Robinson dominated an eighth wicket stand of 56 in 16 overs, but the last three wickets tumbled for five runs. Robinson, 38, nicked Barnard, 2 for 52, through to wicketkeeper Ben Cox, and Sussex debutant Aaron Thomason, 4, went LBW to Ross Whiteley before Brown's dismissal. Wayne Parnell finished with 4.92 after his, one, his day one success. In reply, Robinson made his presence felt with the new ball by removing the openers. Darrell Mitchell, naught, fell to a low catch at second slip by Laurie Evans and then Dell, 8, was trapped LBW in the next over. The third wicket pair of Wessels and Ferguson led a counter-attack with 93 runs in 25 overs. Wessels completed a 56-ball half-century with 10 boundaries, but Jordan broke the stand when Wessels, 55, edged to Robinson, who held on to a low catch at first slip. Ferguson registered his own 50 off 111 balls with seven boundaries, but then Jordan struck twice in one over. Whiteley, 21, went for an uppercut and top-edged a simple catch to mid-off, before Ferguson, 56, drove straight to cover at 152 for five. Cox and Barnard shepherded the county past the 200 mark, combining for 74 in 23 overs. Luke Wells ended the partnership when Barnard, 29, was LBW. But Cox, the county's leading run scorer in the championship this season, continued to score freely and reached a 78-ball 50 with six fours. By the close, he had moved on to 53 and Dolivera, 20, not out.
Past and present Worcester Warriors stars showed their touch around the greens when they took part in Chris Pennell's rain-hit testimonial golf day. Despite the wet weather, 20 teams featuring the likes of club legends Johnny R, Alex Grove and Pennell turned out at Redditch Golf Club. Ex-Warriors boss Dean Ryan and Life President Cecil Duckworth also braved the conditions along with teams representing the testimonial partners Worcester Bosch, EBC Group, Matthews Construction, Gemini ARC, Jane Morant and a number of local businesses. A group from the host club came out on top with a Stableford score of 89 points ahead of Worcester Bosch 88 and Meissen Radiators 87. Pennell said, Credit to everyone who supported for heading out into the pouring rain for the shotgun start at 1.30pm after enjoying bacon rolls, tea and coffee in the warm. The golf course held out superbly well and everyone commented on the quality of the course, particularly the greens. Once changed and after a delicious two-course meal, the winners were presented with their prizes. Pennell thanked people for supporting his chosen charities, Acorns Children's Hospice, Diabetes UK and the Grace Kelly Childhood Cancer Trust. A total of 360 guests are set to attend Pennell's final testimonial event called Worcestershire Sourced at Six Ways on Friday the 28th of June. Pennell added, I'd like to thank our testimonial partners for their support throughout the year and to our generous supporters at our closing dinner, Droitwich Salt, Hussingtree Gin, Churchfields Farm and Witchbold Fudge. Dairy farmers who resurrected an iconic local brand are celebrating after their product hit the shelves of a nationwide retailer. Droitrich Salt, which was brought back in 2017 by Will and Gillian Curtin of Churchfields Farm, is now on sale at Harvey Nichols stores across the country. Will Curtin from Churchfields said, We got involved nearly two years ago and as a group decided to see about ways of improving the profile of Droitwich across the country. We decided to get involved in the production of Droitwich salt again after a hundred years. Even though it was a bit of a gamble, we have got a great team of people who have made it possible and to get a big national retailer like Harvey Nichols carrying our product is great for a little dairy farm in Droitwich. It is great for the area, and as my wife and I are both Droitwich through and through, we couldn't be happier. Rob Graves, head of food and beverage buying at Harvey Nichols, said, We are very excited to be offering a range of Droitwich salt to our customers. These salts are transformative, with each flavour adding incredible depth to your favourite dishes. We pride ourselves in offering our customers quality products, and we believe these multi-award-winning salts are just that. Alongside pure Droitwich salt, Harvey Nichols will be selling the full range of flavoured salts from Churchfield's Saltworks. These include charcoal, sea truffle and coastline. 
Droitwich Salt, which have been celebrated in partnership with TV Michelin-starred chef Brad Carter. A fish and chip shop has closed down after 43 years in the city. <clears throat> Mediterranean Fish Bar in Broad Street, owned by the Yakumi family, served its last battered cod and pickled eggs earlier this month, and customers have taken to social media to pay tribute. The Takeaway's Facebook account posted a goodbye message on June the 1st, saying it was very sad to announce that the last day it would be trading would be that day. We are so sad that this is the case, but all good things must come to an end, it said. We would like to thank all of you for making it possible for us to last so long throughout the years. We appreciate all of the good memories, but today, unfortunately, we've had to call it a day. It has been a pleasure, with love, the whole Mediterranean fish bar family and staff, it added. Customers flooded the post with customers praising current company director Savas Yakumi and his team. Maria Calispera said she was sorry to hear of the closure, but told Mr Yakumi to relax and enjoy some time, while Stephanie Lawson said the chippy had so many memories with me and my daughter. I'm gutted. Lily Ionew Deer said, What a shame you are closing, but I do understand your decision. The catering business is a very stressful and tiring job. We grew up next to you. Time to enjoy life now. Take care to all of you. Beth Farmer said, What a shame. I will never forget this place, as I have the best memory ever from this place, my daughter, Marcy, and my grandchildren. Shame you will never get to meet them all. Good luck for your new venture. Nicola Gandhi said, Very sad news. Such a fantastic chippy and a loving going in on a Saturday morning with my mum and dad and my daughter, Olivia. The fish bar made the news two years ago this month after a batch of mushy peas, which had been accidentally left cooking after hours, caught fire and the fire service had to come out and save the day. At the time, Jack Yakumi said a friend walked past the premises and heard the smoke alarm and called him. But by the time he and the family had got to the business, firefighters had already extinguished the fire, with three fire engines and 10 to 15 personnel at the scene as a precaution. A councillor has hit out at the Conservatives over a series of roadshows he says are a waste of public money. Labour councillor Richard Udall says that plans for roadshows at several events across the county aimed at showcasing various initiatives by Worcestershire County Council are being used by the ruling Conservative Party to promote their policies. Councillor Udall said... These roadshows are nothing more and nothing less than the promotion of the political policies of the controlling Conservative Party. They do not explain how to contact councillors, how to complain, how to seek advice. They are about policy promotion. They are a political circus paid for by council taxpayers. Alternative policies and alternative views will not be on display. The opposition groups have not been consulted about content. It's all about the political promotion of the Conservative Party. It is a total abuse of power and a waste of public money. I want to know just how much these roadshows are costing, who approved them and why they have political content. The money could clearly be better spent on the vulnerable and on public services. The roadshows are taking place at several different events across the county 
and are intended to inform members of the public about the new Worcestershire Children First Service, which is a new council-run company set up to deliver children's services. Explaining the roadshows, Simon Garrity, leader of Worcestershire County Council, said, <clears throat> Our resident roadshows are a really valuable part of how the council engages with people across the county. It's really important for us to take the time to listen to our local communities and share with them our plans for the county. This year we will be talking to them about the major projects that are underway, such as the new railway station for the county, Worcestershire Parkway. We will be encouraging people to plan better for their older age and explaining more about Worcestershire Children First, which is a council-owned company which will be delivering services to the county's children and young people from this autumn onwards. Last summer, five roadshows were held and council staff were joined by councillors from multiple political parties. Events were held around the county, including in Tenbury, Bewdley and in Redditch. The first roadshow this year is at this year's West Fest in Mulvern on Saturday, June the 29th. For more information about the roadshows, go to www facebook.com forward slash your Worcestershire, all one word. An exciting year is in store for the newly crowned Worcestershire Poet Laureate, Charlie Barnes. Miss Barnes from Worcester is a writer and lecturer who splits her time lecturing at Newman University, Birmingham and the University of Worcester. Miss Barnes, who submitted her work for a competition along with dozens of other poets hoping to win the prestigious position, said, Being announced as Worcestershire Poet Laureate for 2019-20 means the world to me. Not only is it a real honour, but it's also an exciting opportunity to encourage poetry and literature throughout the country, the county, sorry which is something I'm very much looking forward to doing over the next 12 months. I'll be looking to work with schools and universities alike to see what exciting projects we can conjure up. So here's hoping for an innovative and creative year ahead. The Poet Laureate acts as an ambassador for poetry for in Worcestershire and promotes poetry as an art form and form of writing. Miss Barnes will now be asked to write poems throughout the year for a number of occasions, which she will arrange with the Worcestershire Litfest and Fringe Litfest Committee. She will also make personal appearances as at key events throughout the county during her year of tenure as Worcestershire Poet Laureate and will perform live at events. She will write a regular blog to appear on the Litfest website, among other important duties. Her collection of poems, A Z-Hearted Guide to Heartache, was published by V Press in July 2018. Her novel Intention was published by Bloodhound Books in January 2019 
and she has another novel coming out soon. Droitwich Saltfest will remain as a standalone event after an outcry over a plan to merge it with another food festival. A plan to join the popular festival with the Droitwich Food Festival was thwarted after new organisers came forward to take on the Saltfest. The merger had been put forward as a possible solution when Witchhaven District Council said they did not want to be as heavily involved in the organisation as in previous years. But the Droitwich Waterways Trust stepped in, along with the landlord of the Gardener's Arms in Vines Lane, to allow the not-for-profit festival to retain its identity, something that it has enjoyed since its inception in 2006. Trustee of the Droitwich Waterways Trust, Sandy Laird, 84, also town councillor for Droitwich Spa, said, we got together with Simon Berry from the Gardener's Arms to take the lead with the organisation. I'm delighted it's going ahead and there's going to be many stalls. Stephen Knight, Marketing and Events Officer for Witchhaven District Council, said, the original proposal to merge it with the Droitwich Food Festival would have meant the festival wouldn't have been a standalone event. Witchhaven District Council has agreed to give up £5,000 towards the event, although this figure is dependent on how much event organisers can raise themselves. The new community-led direction is hoped to continue for future events. Mr Laird added, We've thought about setting up a company now to promote the festival in future. Saltfest 2019 will take place September the 7th to the 8th. The chairman of Worcestershire County Council has thanked marshals who came to his aid after he crashed his car in a hill climb event. Councillor Peter Tomlinson had the crash on Saturday at the Shelsley Walsh Hill Climb, which is open to any pre-1980 classic car. The Ombersley councillor said an MGC Sebring Roadster clipped the edge of one of the bends on the track, causing him to lose control and crash over the safety barriers. Fortunately, he suffered only severe bruising and a very dented car. Councillor Tomlinson said, Unfortunately, I lost control and ended up perched across the barriers. The action by safety crews and medical staff was instantaneous and I couldn't have been looked after better. I've always considered Selgley Walsh to be an example of how Worcestershire punches well above its weight, and Saturday's incident has only reinforced my view. The venue, founded in 1905, is the oldest motorsport venue in the world still using its original course. And what's more, it's set in a beautiful location amongst the rolling hills of our lovely county. Gary Hall, general manager of Shelsley Walsh, said, I was delighted to welcome Peter back to our world-renowned venue. However, I hadn't expected the day to work out as it did. Famous names such as Campbell and Seagrave, John Surtees and Sir Sterling Moss have all hurtled up our famous 1,000-yard, 1-in-6 gradient track. We are proud to do our part to put Worcestershire on the map and very pleased that the chairman of the county council came to compete here. Motorsport does of course have its dangers but our qualified and professional staff are always on hand as safety is our top priority and we are very glad that Peter came out of it relatively unscathed. Councillor Tomlinson, the creator and ex-presenter of Tiswas, became council chairman last month. Well, this week has seen uh, much flooding in the area from the River Severn and the clean-up operation is due to finish by Friday tomorrow. 
Water levels are continuing to recede and only very low-lying areas still impassable. Rob Byrne, spokesman for Worcester City Council, said the team at Worcester City Council are experienced in dealing with the aftermath of flooding in the city and went into action as soon as river levels started to fall. We have now washed down all the paths from Worcester Bridge to Diglis Bridge. We will be cleaning benches and other street furniture over the next couple of days and washing down the lower jetty path near Grandstand Road when the river level is low enough. We hope to have all the riverside back to normal for the weekend. Mr Byrne also wanted to thank members of the public for their patience. Specialist workers are using high-pressure hoses to remove debris, dirt and silt that has been grounded. The Bromwich Parade area in the city has been cleaned and is now passable. Dave Throop, the Environment Agency's Area Environment Manager for Worcestershire, said River levels have dropped a couple of metres now. Water is coming off the cricket ground and should be coming off the racecourse in the next 24 to 48 hours. We're not expecting any rise in river levels again in the short term. We don't encourage people to go into floodwaters if they've been there a long time, as there are potential health hazards. Flooding has been seen across the city, from swans outside Browns at the Quay to Black Finch New Road being completely submerged and a race meet at the Worcester Racecourse having to change venue. The current water level at the River Seven at Diglis is 1.802 metres and falling, according to the Environmental Agency's website, and there are currently no flood warnings. A boxing club has launched a campaign for people to take up the sport instead of turning to knife crime. Droitwich Boxing Club which was set up by Chris Andrews in 1977, has kicked off its campaign, Drop the Knives, Pick Up the Gloves, which is aimed at getting youngsters off the street and away from crime. Mr Andrews, founder of the club in Briar Mill, said, Droitwich is a very safe place to live, and thankfully knife violence is extremely rare. That being said, any initiative which gets youths talking and learning about the dangers and consequences of carrying a knife can only be constructive and a good thing. The number of fatal stabbings in England last year was the highest since records began in 1946. Figures from the Office for National Statistics show there were 285 killings by a knife or sharp instrument in the 12 months ending March 2018. The Office for National Statistics say one in four, 71, of all victims, 285, were men aged 18 to 24. Head coach at the club, Jason Doyle, said, the knife crime epidemic that is sweeping the nation is very alarming. Boxing clubs across the country are reaching out to the kids to try and stem the tide of attacks. The majority of clubs across the country are setting up their own variations on this campaign. 
we felt it was our duty to do the same. Boxing is a great way for kids to come to the gym and learn to control their aggression in a disciplined environment, but it's a great way it's a great way to keep fit and build team spirit. Simon Graham from the club added, Droitwich is relatively low for knife crime, but we want to nip it in the bud before it arrives. This campaign is important to get kids off the streets and into gyms. We are trying to do our bit to help the community. Droitwich Boxing Club has launched their campaign with a new logo and banner donated by the team at Droitwich Sign and Print. Over the coming months, the club will be going through a rebrand starting with its new website, donated to the club by businessman Paul Matthews of Stake Festival Creative Digital Agency, based in Droitwich. Mr Matthews said, This boxing club has done so much for the town over the years, so to give something back to help and support is what a local institution has been our pleasure. Firefighters were called to sinking boats after the river levels rose. The popular cathedral ferry was inches from sinking. Mark Glossop, who owns the ferry which has raised £16,000 for charity, said the river levels rose by more than one and a half metres. The boat was pulled down by its moorings and water came in over the side. Fortunately, the buoyancy built into the boat kept it afloat. The ferry's engine was inches from going underwater. The fire and rescue service came and were able to release the moorings, allowing the boat to be floated to the slipway where the water was cleared out. The boat was then moved and moored alongside a floating barge. We are very grateful for what they did. It has saved the ferry. The boat crosses between the Worcester Cathedral riverbank and operated daily for centuries until the late 1950s. Firefighters were also called to a sinking boat at Diglas Weir, managing to bring the boat to shore, securing it using water equipment. No one was on the boat. A flood alert was issued for the River Severn in Worcestershire, Worcester and Kemsey, and they were put on alert by the Environment Agency after the river levels rose following heavy rain. The latest recorded levels for the River Seven in Diglas is 3.08 metres, which is above the 2.80 metre line when minor flooding becomes possible. The River Seven is at Barbon and it's 3.57 metres, above the warning level of the 3.34 metres in that area. At Kemsey's Yacht Club, the level is 5.38 metres, with an alert issued there. Alerts have also been issued for the River Avon in Worcestershire, with the agency saying they were closely monitoring the situation. Walcott Ford in Drake's Broughton and Shell Ford in Droitwich were both closed due to flooding along with the new street in Upton-on-Severn. David Throp, Environment Agency Manager, tweeted that 20 to 30 millimetres had fallen in the region overnight on Wednesday, but the worst had missed the River Severn.
A campaign to stop McDonald's plan for a new city restaurant has been given momentum with the launch of a new petition. The fast food chain has submitted plans to Worcester City Council for a new drive through and takeaway restaurant at the former Harvester pub in Drybridge Road. Earlier, the Worcester News reported that Kate Brunt, head of the Rivers Trust behind the new North Worcester Primary, that will be a few minutes' walk away from the site when it opens in September, had added her voice to the growing campaign against the plan, saying the impacts on new peoples should not be ignored. Now James Stanley, the ward councillor for the area, has launched the petition called Stop McDonald's at Perliswell Harvester, which has had its first 24 hours, in its first 24 hours, has received hundreds of signatures. The petition lists the new school, additional litter and concerns it will attract anti-social behaviour to the area as reasons against the Perliswell House scheme. Councillor Stanley said a significant number of people have already expressed their objections to this development. I'm not opposed to businesses moving into the area and bringing jobs, but McDonald's is inappropriate for this site for various reasons. There is also the issue of congestion that can build up and in the shadows the issue that, I would assume, McDonald's would look at 24-hour opening. We want people to sign the petition and submit their views in the consultation. Andy Stafford, who is also a claims councillor, added, This is a very bad location for McDonald's. We should not have our fast food restaurants outside our schools and youth centres. It is in its planning application, McDonald's says the design and layout of the site in its location are appropriate and highlights it would create 65 new jobs and new investment in the area. Residents have until July the 9th to have their say in the consultation on the council's website, while the petition can be found at the change.org website. The Worcester Dragon Boat Racing Club will pay tribute to a former club stalwart at their annual race, the Dragon Charity Event. Alistair Collier died at the age of 60 in a kayaking accident during a competition on the south coast of England in October 2018. Amanda Hughes, 42, spokeswoman for the club, said... This year we felt the Royal National Lifeboat Institution would be a good cause as they played a huge part in the recovery of Alistair and they do such a wonderful job helping water users. Mr Collier's body was recovered along with his kayak from the water by HMS Tyne, 22 nautical miles south of Tynham in Dorset and taken to Poole Hospital by Coast Guard helicopter after an extensive search. Mr Collier, an accomplished kayaker, had been taking part in a race off Studland in Dorset. Club member Sue Handy, 60, said he was such a strong athlete and all-round nice guy and he played a big part in the club as a committee member. Nothing was too much trouble for Alistair and he helped newcomers to the club. When we heard of his death, it was such a sad day, and we still miss his presence. Around 30 teams have entered from all over the UK, and although each team can select their own charity, a percentage of money they raise will go to the host club. 30 teams have entered from all over the UK, and crews have had a maximum of three training sessions each to compete on the day along a 200-metre course down the River Severn. The event will be held from the Café Seven on the Quay on Grandstand Road on Sunday, July the 7th, between 9.30am and 5pm. 
Members of the public are welcome to watch and money will also be raised for the charity by the sale of refreshments. The competition is fully booked for this year, but anyone wishing to donate can visit www.worcester-dragons.org.uk. A restaurant worker says trade was horrendous while waterworks took place outside his eatery, which he claims he was not informed of before the work began. Mazadol Shakil from Balti Mahal in Astwood Road said the traffic was absolutely appalling due to the works. Mr Shakil, aged 26, said it was awful to come from town to the restaurant it took a good 30 minutes when it usually takes 3 to 5 minutes. The waterworks was carried out in Astwood Road from Monday, June the 10th to Thursday, June the 13th. Mr Shaquille said customers were complaining about deliveries being late and food being cold. He alleges that there was no signage about the works beforehand and resulted in business losing trade. He added, it wasn't fair on customers. It's not nice to see customers unhappy. It affected the restaurant. This week has been horrendous in terms of trade. Customers were complaining about how long it took them to drive to the restaurant and the trouble they had with parking. It literally took me 15 minutes one day to get out of the car park. There were two temporarily placed traffic lights, one next to Balti Mahal and the other one at the, was after the Premier Rainbow Hill stall. Mr Shaquille said it was ridiculous. There should have been a clear sign warning drivers and informing us when the work will start and finish. If we had known, we could have pre-planned. At the end of the day, if work needs to be done, it needs to be done. But there should be some compassion towards businesses. A member of staff from Rainbow Hill Premier, who did not want to be named, said, We were not informed on the works. A big portion of the road was blocked off. It made such a difference to our trade. A spokesman from Seven Trent said, We'd like to apologise for any inconvenience that was caused by our work on Astwood Road this week. It was an emergency job, and as such, we didn't have a chance to inform local people in advance. We would normally talk to people about any planned work so that everyone knows what's happening and can prepare for it. But in this case, as it was an emergency, we just had to jump in and get it done. The golden age of the railways returned when a steam locomotive rumbled into Worcester during a national tour. The years melted away in a moment as the steam billowed from the chimney of the Flying Scotsman. Hundreds of people welcomed the head-turning locomotive to Worcester or came later to wave the elegant engine farewell as it departed for London. The crowds spanned all generations and were an eclectic combination of train enthusiasts, curious locals and bemused commuters. 
The locomotive built in Doncaster arrived into Worcester Shrub Hill at 11.50 on Saturday and departed at 16.31 as it began its return to London via Morton in the Marsh. Fathers hoisted their children up onto their shoulders to afford them a better look at the rare spectacle and many people tried to capture the visit on phones, cameras and tablets. Among those to enjoy the visit were Paul James, 47, and partner Sally Williams, 48, of St Peter's. Mr James used the locomotive's flying visit as a chance to photograph the engine from Worcester Bridge as it headed over the viaduct, but could not resist coming to Shrub Hill for a closer look. Friends of the National Railway Museum set up shop in the station where people bought souvenirs of the visit. Among the volunteers were Mel Draper and Roger Smith. Mr Smith said staff at the station had made sure people could enjoy the locomotive and said the people of Worcester had given the engine one of the warmest welcomes he had seen during the tour. The locomotive was held in the sidings, waiting for the departure of the 1614 train to Malvern before it made its approach. There were cheers and applause as the locomotive sent forth great plumes of steam, which briefly enveloped it completely as it moved away, screening it from jubilant onlookers, at least one of whom had come from Australia to see the engine. While it was stopped on the platform, many curious spectators peered into the elegant first-class carriages and marvelled at the period decor. The engine was built in 1923 and is the most famous steam locomotive in the world. The day trip, known as the Cotswold Venturer, from London Paddington, travelled along the former Great Western Railway, GWR mainline. After passing Gloucester, the train travelled via the line between Cheltenham Spa and Abbotswood Junction before heading to Worcester. It then took the Cotswold line through to Oxford, passing Evesham and Honeybourne. Other stops included Morton in the Marsh, Charlbury and Oxford. There is a first glimpse of how an ambitious project to transform Worcester's railway arches may be branded. Students from the University of Worcester have put forward their ideas for a brand identity for Worcester's arches and organisers of the project say they plan to use some elements in the final design. Through the Arches Project, eight of the Victorian arches between Forgay Street Railway Station, the Hive and the River Severn will be refurbished to become a modern workplace for the creative industries and a cultural destination for tourists and local communities. The transformation will provide a hub for businesses and create skills development in the £4.5 million project with £3 million funding from the government. The Arches Project team tasked graphic design students who have been taking the 24-hour pressure projects module to develop a set of artwork concepts to help them come up with an identity for the project, including logos and sub-logos, colour schemes and fonts. These ideas were applied to example marketing concepts and scenarios to show how they might work in reality if taken on. Elaine Knight, Arts Director for Seven Arts, one of the projects, one of the partners in the project, said, This has been a really good opportunity to make us think about what sort of image we want to communicate through our branding. As a totally new project, which is at the early stages of development, but also a project that needs to build on what's already here in Worcester, the students gave us plenty of creative ideas to go away with. 
Max Mann, a third-year student at the University of Worcester's graphic design course, added, The idea of having a real-life client come in and set a brief we were able to work with as a team was a great experience. In our team, we all have different methods of styles of working. Bringing these different skills together to create a response to the brief gave us an insight into working in a design agency. Students worked on the project over a tight two-day schedule, aiming at simulating the occasional quick project turnarounds in the design and media industry. The campaign to erect a statue which will hopefully bring thousands of American tourists to Worcester is looking for a leader. The Battle of Worcester Society charity is aiming to raise around £150,000 for the monument to John Adams and Thomas Jefferson in Fort Royal Park, but realises it needs the services of a volunteer fundraiser. The appeal was launched last year and has already made inroads into the total, but now wants to take the fundraising to another level. Anyone with American connections would be especially welcome. Richard Shaw, chairman of the society, said, We are looking for an experienced fundraiser, ideally with an interest in local history. We already have planning permission and the new statue will be a major addition to Worcester's Heritage Trail. It's supported by Worcester City Council, the Civic Society and the Friends of Commandery Gardens and Fort Royal Park. We believe that the monument will be a great visitor attraction, particularly to American tourists. The statue will be the first of Adams and Jefferson together anywhere in the world. The two distinguished figures visited Worcester on April 8, 1786, and both later became presidents of the USA. Adams became the first vice president to George Washington in 1789 and the second president in 1797. Jefferson was Adams' vice president and became president himself from 1801 to 1809. Jefferson, when he became president, ended the slave trade in America when he passed legislation prohibiting the importation of slaves to the country. Adams successfully defended nine men of the 29th Regiment of Foot, which became the Worcestershire Regiment in 1881, who were accused of murder after firing into a crowd of hostile civilians at Boston in 1770. The statue will depict Adams and Jefferson standing on Fort Royal Hill, where Adams delivered his famous speech to the citizens of Worcester emphasising to them how important their city was. He told the crowd, This is the ground where liberty was fought for. Tell your neighbours and your children that this is holy ground, much holier than that on which your churches stand. All England shall come, should come in pilgrimage to this hill, Fort Royal, once a year. And the final little story before we have our thought for the day... Cows had to be removed from railway tracks by the police. British Transport Police tweeted that they had helped remove some cows off the railway line near Droitwich on Monday evening. They tweeted from the BTP3 Counties account that they assisted Network Rail to move the cows off the line at around 6.30pm. The account joked... 
We have just assisted at Network Rail to move some cows off the line between hashtag Droitwich and hashtag Hartlebury. We expressed our utter disbelief at the cows for delaying people. And I'm going to ask Judith for the thought for the day. Yes. Um, Which is taken from Proverbs chapter 15, verses 20 to 22. A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish man despises his mother. Folly brings joy to one who has no sense, but whoever has understanding keeps a straight course. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisers they succeed. Thank you, Judith. So, it remains for me, Elizabeth Hill, to thank Duncan Wynne and my fellow readers, Judith Doherty, Janet Goodwin and Julian Watkins for their contributions this week. And to sign off, and hope you have a good week, the obituaries will follow the music. Bye-bye. These funerals have already taken place. Louise Morris, nay Curfee, passed away on the 5th of June, aged 41. A celebration of her life was held, held at the Vale Crematorium on June 20th. Um, Donations for Macmillan Nurses or the Brain Tumour Charity can be sent to Alexander Byrne Funeral Directors, 436 High Street, Cheltenham, GL 53JA, telephone 01242 245350. Jenny Kimberley passed away June the 5th. Funeral service was uh, will have been on June the 21st. Donations for Motor Neurone Disease Association and St Richard's Hospice can be sent uh, directly to the charity with inquiries to Cooperative Funeral Care 01905 Graham Neville Wyndham Lewis, retired Worcester City Police Officer, passed away on May the 30th. The funeral service will have taken place on June 21st. Donations for the Blue Lamp Foundation can be sent to E.J. Gummery & Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Joyce Millan passed away June the 7th. Her funeral will have been on June 21st. Donations for the Cats Protections and St Richard's Hospice can be sent either directly to the charity or cooperative funeral care details as before. The following funerals are still to take place. Brian Francis Savage, who passed away suddenly May 25th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, June 24th at 11.30am. Donations for cancer research can be left at the service or inquiries to cooperative funeral care details as before. Brenda May Priest of Ronxwood passed away June the 4th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium, Tuesday, June 25th 
at 1.45pm. Family flowers only, no details of funeral director ordinations. Joan Enid Faraday passed away June the 3rd. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium, Tuesday, June 25th at 3.15pm. Donations can be sent to AV Band Funeral Directors, 41 St Nicholas Street, Worcester, WR1, 1UW, to be shared between the British Heart Foundation and Acorns Children's Hospice. Michael Beechin, Beeching, sorry, passed away May 30th. His service will be at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, June 25th at 2.30pm, followed by a Thanksgiving service at Droitwich Methodist Church at 3.30pm. Donations for Macmillan Cancer Support and Prostate Cancer UK can be sent to uh, RL Re, that's REA, Funeral Directors Limited, 17 Rock Hill, Bromsgrove, B61 7LL and the telephone number is 01527 831723 Wilfred Evans known as Wilf passed away June the 6th funeral service at Worcester Crematorium Wednesday 26th of June at 1045 Donations, if desired, for the air ambulance. No funeral director there. Doris Collett, known as Dolly, passed away May 26th, aged 102. Thanksgiving service will take place at Wood Green Evangelical Church on Wednesday, June the 26th at 2.30pm, to which all are welcome to attend. No details of funeral director or donations. Jonathan Collins, known as John, um, of Yate, Bristol, formerly of Starport and Worcester, passed away suddenly aged 46. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, June 26th at 2.30pm. Donations, if desired, to cancer research, care of AV band, details as before. Ronald John Harding passed away June the 4th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium Wednesday, June 26th at 3.15pm. Donations for Dementia UK can be left at the service or sent to cooperative funeral care details as before. John Wallace Doughty, ex-co-op and Bennett's milkman, passed away on the 3rd of June. Funeral to celebrate his life will be at Worcester Crematorium Thursday, June 27th at 1.45pm. If desired, please wear bright colours. <clears throat> Donations to St Richard's Hospice can be left in the collection box or sent to EJ Gumry and Son, 6870 on Bisley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. George Burrow passed away May 29th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium, Friday, June 28th at 11.30am. Donations for St Richard's Hospice or Guide Dogs for the Blind can be left in the donations box or sent to AV Band Funeral Direction Directors, details as before. And Valerie Lloyd, known as Val, passed away May 22nd, former supervisor of Faithful Overalls. Her funeral will be at Worcester Crematorium on Monday the 1st of July 
at 1.45pm. Donations can be sent to Cancer Research, care of AV Band Field Directors, details as before. Our thoughts and prayers go to all of those who have lost loved ones recently.